This is The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. The Political Insider is your inside source on politics from the White House to the State House and all points in between. If it's in the headlines, The Political Insider will have the story. Let's get started. Here's Bill Ballinger. Welcome, weekend political warriors. This week, uh, there were two pieces of legislation or a package of bills covering two issues that move through the legislature on toward Governor Gretchen Whitmer and her possible signature. We can't be sure (laughs) after the uh, budget imbroglio uh, of the last uh, two to three weeks when she vetoed 147 line items. Uh, We can't be sure she'll sign these bills, but it looks like she will. And I thought I'd just take a brief note of what they are. One is uh, a bill that would maintain the scope of practice for licensed professional counselors and block controversial rules being promulgated by the Department of Licensing and Regulatory Affairs. Um, They breeze through these bills. Um, I actually think it was one bill, uh, the state Senate, and uh, passed unanimously. uh, Movement uh, on this bill began in response to rules being promulgated by the Department of Licensing and Regulatory Affairs, LARA is the acronym, L-A-R-A, The proposed rules would remove the ability for counselors to diagnose and offer psychotherapy. Um, You know, people wonder about legislation that passed. All you read in the newspaper is partisan divide between Republicans and Democrats in the House and Senate. Well, this bill passed unanimously, and... uh, That's the way most bills uh, move when they pass in a given week. Let's say you had uh, 25 bills pass in a week and move to the governor for her signature. Uh, Probably 90% of those bills are going to pass with overwhelming majority support. I mean, 90% plus of all bills that pass, pass with that level of support. But you'd never know it from the news media because the news media does not uh, make the public aware that what the news media generally concentrates on is all the things that individual legislators and caucuses and parties as represented in the legislature disagree on, how they're at each other's throats, uh, how it looks like everything is a fight and a struggle. Well, that's not the case. In fact, the news media really only picks up on conflict because that's what the news media likes. Uh, The news media will claim that they're only doing a service to the reading public or the viewing public or the listening public um, in pointing out the things about which there is some debate and controversy and that anything else that occurs in the legislature or that is approved by the governor – is kind of boring, and you don't need to hear about it. Uh, There's no real debate about whether it's good or not. Well, that gives a very misleading impression, Uh, and I think that the general public and the voters are ill-served by the way the news media covers these things. 
I'll just mention the other bill uh, that passed, and this was not just a bill. It was nine bills. They were House bills, a package. And these are really important because uh, what they will do is uh, put Michigan on the verge of no longer automatically charging 17-year-olds as adults in the criminal justice system. We were only one of four states in the country that have been trying uh, 17-year-olds accused of crime in the adult criminal justice system. This would put them back with other minors, 16 years old and less. Uh, This is the first time this has happened in Michigan. And the Senate uh, passed nine bills in a package sent over by the House. And these bills would also require counties to provide information needed to develop uh, an updated fundraising uh, funding formula for uh, putting these 17-year-olds in the juvenile justice system rather than automatically putting them uh, on trial as adults. And again, these bills passed almost unanimously. Bipartisan support, Democrats and Republicans, everybody came together. So this is the way most legislation clears the legislature with overwhelming support. And Democrats and Republicans get along a lot better on a lot of bills than you would be led to believe by what you see and read and hear in the news media. Now, there is obviously some disagreement, and you've been hearing about it for really almost nine months uh, at this point. Uh, Certainly you've been hearing about it in the last two to three weeks, and that is that uh, Gretchen Whitmer, as I mentioned, the governor uh, vetoed 147 line items in the fiscal year 2020 budget appropriations bill sent to her some three weeks ago. And she also shuffled around a lot of money uh, in other appropriations bills uh, within departments. Over $600 million she shifted from certain programs the legislature wanted this money spent on to other programs within these department budgets. So uh, that obviously is a big disagreement uh, between the governor, who's a Democrat, and the Republican-controlled legislature. I will say that the minority Democrats in the House and Senate gave a lot of support uh, to many of these bills and line items that were sent to the governor. Uh, It was, again, bipartisan support. The Democrats were somewhat split in the legislature as to whether they approved of these budget bills, but enough of them joined with the Republicans that they easily passed, and yet the governor took this action. And the legislature at this point uh, has to decide, do we trust uh, the governor enough to send her supplemental spending to replace the line item money that she took out of these bills. I mean, she vetoed almost a billion dollars worth of spending, plus, uh, as I said, shuffling around more than $600 million within departmental budgets. And yet the governor, uh, who has basically said, the only reason I really did this was to force the Republican legislative leaders to sit down at the table with me 
and hammer out an agreement on sending me what I consider an adequate amount of revenue for fix the damn roads. Well, it's backfired uh, because it appears that the Republican-controlled legislature is in no hurry to send her any replacement revenue money in supplemental spending bills to replace the money that she's vetoed because they don't trust her to spend it where they want her to spend it. And she doubled down this week. She said, I am not going to give back any power that I have as the chief executive of the state, as the governor. I am not going to give this away to the legislature and say, yeah, send me a bill that will rein in my powers to shuffle money around within departments. Uh, I want to be able to do that. Well, she's the first governor in history ever to really do this. And the legislative leaders are basically saying without some absolute assurance from the governor that she will not shuffle this money around, we're in no hurry to send her anything more. And you know what? Maybe we will not send her anything more. Uh, Or if we do, it'll be on uh, several things that we all agree on has to be uh, money has to be spent on like secondary road patrols, like autism navigator and so forth. So that is an ongoing story, and uh, we're going to cover it week by week by week. This could go on for weeks or months or into next year, deep into next year. We'll be back in a minute with our first guest. Stay tuned. This is MTN, and you're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. Here's Bill. We are back, and we have a very special guest here, Dawson Bell, former reporter correspondent for the Detroit Free Press of Longstanding, uh, who claims he retired several years ago. From the Free Press, at least, I'm a little suspicious. I think he's still very active. But Dawson Bell, welcome to The Political Insider. Happy to be here. And I want to just uh, talk to you a little bit about your longtime colleague, the well-known columnist and um, reporter, feature writer for the Detroit Free Press based in Lansing, Hugh McDermott, who died uh, last Saturday, a week ago, at the age of 84. I just want to read the first two short paragraphs of the great article you wrote in the Free Press about Hugh, you said, and I quote, longtime Free Press writer and columnist Hugh McDermott, who covered and sometimes skewered public figures ranging from U.S. presidents like Dwight Eisenhower to Michigan guitarist and firebrand Ted Nugent, died Saturday. He was 84. McDermott was an icon of a now vanishing era of media and politics in which Penetrating examination and pointed analysis was almost never personal, unquote. Well, and your article is uh, much longer than that, obviously, and you had a lot of fascinating stuff in there. I'd just like to ask you overall, you know, what are your memories and what are your primary thoughts about Hugh McDermott? Well, Bill, you actually knew you and worked with him longer than I did, but I I was in journalism for or more before I came to Lansing and worked with him directly. And 
you know, long before he was a colleague and mentor and so on, he was kind of a hero of mine. He was just a really sort of towering figure in, in Michigan political journalism. Absolutely. Um, as I remember it, he came to Michigan. He was not a native of Michigan. He came here, I think, in 1975 uh, from Ohio. He'd been with a Dayton paper, um, and I think at one time he wrote for the Washington Post. He was born and brought up in Cincinnati. Um, and you and Chris Kristoff, your other colleague in the Free Press Bureau, you came, didn't you come around 1987 or 88, like maybe 12 yeah. years after Hugh? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, Chris Chris arrived a little earlier than I did, but uh, we were in sort of a year of each other, and then stayed on for a couple of decades afterwards. And Hugh was by that time a full time columnist, and we were capital correspondent types. Right. And I noticed that Hugh, even though he was the senior person in your office, he never was bureau chief. He probably didn't want to be bureau chief, did he? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know. He wasn't. He wasn't a management type. <laughs> to put it mildly, I think he was kind of a loose cannon rolling around in state government, toppling figures. Uh, that that's what he really liked to do. Uh, yeah. I mean, do you have any particular memories of things that he wrote or did that stand out that you can think of over time? Well. I, there are dozens, of course, and uh, I would recommend to your listeners the, the uh, very fine column that John Lindstrom wrote for Gongwer News. I, I'm not sure how accessible it is to the general public, but he he had a, a half dozen or more anecdotes. One of which was was uh, the time that he hung up the windows. We, we we had an office on the eighth floor of what was then called the Washington Square Building, right at the corner of Michigan and Washington Square, and. And uh, it had windows that would open, unlike office buildings today. And and uh, Hugh was in the habit of flinging up the window and shouting at people down on the street that he usually people that he knew, <laughs> but not always. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, I think I think the anecdote that Lindstrom told was how he how he had shouted down at Dennis Cawthorn, you know, a long time legislator and lobbyist, um, uh, Cawthorn for governor. <laughs> and, uh, that apparently predated my time, but he uh, subsequently repeated that uh, that act only this time with Pat Gagliardi, who you um, sure would, of course remember, right? And uh, uh, is still hanging around town. Some I don't think either one of them ever ran for governor, but uh, he he was liable to give that kind of encouragement to anybody if it struck his fancy. Right, absolutely. Um, there was a um, editor in. Um Governor Milliken's office, you probably remember Billy Harrison. Her maiden name was Lily, so she was Billy Lily before she was Billy Harrison. Um, and she tells a great anecdote. Uh, she says, the back door to my office opened onto the Senate lobby. Uh, it was unmarked, kept locked, and used only rarely, mostly when the boss needed a back way out of the office. That's Governor Milliken. And she said, one day, she said, I suddenly had a spate of people turning the knob and trying to get in. I, I would open the door a crack, peek out and say, yes. Then there would be a rather surprised look on some man's face, usually accompanied by, oh, or excuse me, and a hasty retreat. 
Well, it happened several times. Billy Harrison says, I couldn't figure it out. Finally, I opened the door all the way, and there affixed to it was a, quote, gentleman, unquote, sign. (laughs) And she says McDermott was the culprit. She says, R.I.P., Hugh, thanks for good reporting and good fun. So, I mean, he had a personality that went beyond his writing, right? I mean, he was just kind of a character. Yeah, he was he was extremely uh disarming and and uh, and and open and uh, you know treated people that he had only passing acquaintance with like long lost friends sometimes. Uh, he just was he was one of those people that just um made you feel good about being around him. Right. And and he was a very strong environmentalist. He had a summer home up on Torch Lake, I believe. And uh, he was a big champion of the so-called bottle bill, which uh, went on the ballot in 1976. This would have been long before you came to the Bureau, but you remember it, uh, requiring a 10-cent deposit. And, and he actually went to Oregon, uh, which had pioneered this kind of legislation, and uh, uh, talked to Governor Tom McCall, who was a uh, progressive Republican governor of Oregon, and was a big champion of the bottle bill out there. And he wrote it up uh, vigorously numerous times, and there's some funny stories about that, too. He was a a huge champion for the environment, and and the bottle bill, which he um, vigorously defended through all its years. You know, um, I I feel like my friendship with him was all the more remarkable because I didn't share many of his views about things. (laughs) <laughs> I think the bottle bill is a, is a cruel joke, but but you, you could you know he just he just uh, um, was was tireless in his effort to you know he he went after um, uh, what he viewed as the excesses of our uh, gun culture and and often often sort of uh, wrote the. Um, the hunting community into that and became, you know, he was he he, he was at, at, at loggerheads with with the NRA, of course, but also with deer hunters and bear hunters and uh, heaven forfend the uh, wolf people. <laughs> well, listen, we could go on talking forever about Hugh McDermott, but he will be missed. He has been missed. He's actually been retired for almost two decades. Yeah, but we unlike, still remember you, it. He didn't want to get out. Yeah, that's probably right. Anyway, thank you so much, Dawson Bell of the Detroit Free Press. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Dawson. You bet. We'll be back in a minute. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We have returned with Janelle Leonard, and she is the new owner and CEO and chief cook and bottle washer of Marketing Resource Group, <laughs> which is uh, one of the uh, oldest political uh, consulting firms in Lansing, maybe the oldest. I mean, I think it's four decades old. Janelle Leonard, welcome to the Political Insider. Hello, and thank you for having me, Bill. I appreciate it. Yeah, well, I mean, I think Tom Shields uh, started this way back in like, you know, 79, 80, 81 with Kevin Cleary and Al Mann. They left, and but Tom is still there. In fact, I think he's still a senior advisor, right? 
That is correct. He is. He, uh, he transitioned to senior advisor, and your timing is correct. So it's 1979 is when he started Marketing Resource Group. So you're right, four decades well, of political experience. Well, that is really remarkable. What a run. And, uh, you know, many people wondered, would Tom Shields ever uh, <laughs> decide to, you know, retire gracefully, gradually, whatever, or fade away in some way, shape, uh, or form? And I guess... He found you, and you have taken over. And so tell me, are you going to stay in the same location? Are you moving? What? Yeah, well, well. first off, I'm glad he held out for me, um, and I'm glad he approached me about doing it because uh, taking over the business and, and really striving to continue his legacy because it's, uh, it's an awesome opportunity and one I'm definitely not taking lightly. So it's, uh, it's been great on that. Uh, we have moved locations just a couple doors uh a little closer to Cupid's is what I like to say, so my commute isn't uh, that far to get lunch back and forth. But we are now in the atrium building, which is uh, and on the garden level. So as soon as you walk in, uh, head down the stairs, and we are on the left-hand side. Well, and from our listeners, uh, let me mention that the uh, atrium building, I mean, we're talking about two blocks from the state capitol, and mm-hmm. Marketing Resource Group has been, you know, in a building just a couple of buildings away from that uh the atrium building by the way was once a movie theater and they really converted it into a fabulous suite of offices uh so did tom approach you before you ever came to work for mrg because haven't you been there for like a year and a half two years you're right so wow your time is really good so yeah i started in march of 2018 and tom had actually approached me the year before that saying listen i'm i'm in the process i want to start transitioning into retirement um and he wanted to continue his legacy so he was looking at people and approached me to say hey i would love for you to come join the team um i want to you know start you out as an employee get you to understand and learn the business and develop relationships with the clients and then ultimately take over the company uh, thereafter. So, yeah, so I started in March with the intent of taking over um, MRG, and then 18 months later, here we are. Well, you had been um, the chief uh, factotum at the Michigan Film Office, hadn't you, at one time? And you worked for Lieutenant Governor Brian Kelly, didn't you, at one point? That is correct. That is correct. So I was the film commissioner for three years. I served in that capacity from... 2015 until uh, March of 2018, and prior to that, I was in the Snyder administration directly working with Lieutenant uh, Lieutenant Governor Callie. So I worked on anything from policy to special events and just kind of help um, manage the office in a way, too. So a lot, a lot of great experiences um, that kind of shaped me and formed me into the current position of MRG. Well, what do you think, I mean, this is a hard thing for maybe you to talk about, but what do you think attracted him about you and your background that made him approach you? Well, Tom and I, we uh, so we actually live only about a mile away from each other, but never really knew or interacted um, in our, you know, neighborly capacity. It was all just downtown Lansing politics. And one of the first interactions we had was working on the bridge to Canada. I was one of the leads from the governor's office on that initiative, and then Shields was working on the coalition side, the external side. So we we interacted all the time. Um, And that's what he says was the first thing that attracted him to me was my ability to organize the the coalition, maintain messaging, get talking points out, um, all all of the things. But it it took a a huge effort, um, especially with such a politically driven 
policy um, to make sure that everything was cohesive and everyone was on the same page. And obviously that's what they do at Marketing Resource Group as well. It's the relationship building, the communication, it's the community relations, all the things. So that's, uh, that's when you first, you know, recognized me or noticed me, if you will. And that was way back in 2011. So clearly we maintained good relationships moving forward. Uh, he was a good supporter of my husband when Tom was running for state rep and then speaker and all of that as well. So he's, He's really become a second dad over the past decade, which I, I definitely value. Wow. Uh, well, that is a great compliment to you. And I think at this point, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but you're probably the only female head of a political consulting firm in Lansing, aren't you really? Uh, at least one of the only ones. Um, I think there might be one or two out there, both the, the PR and the political side um, of it. But it's it's definitely something I see as an advantage, something as I see as an opportunity and a strength, especially um, in the political environment that we have, having a female perspective on um, on anything from messaging to getting more women involved in politics, running for office, and all of those things. It's definitely an asset. Well, one of the things that Tom Shields really pioneered in, uh, honestly, it's taken for granted nowadays. There's so many polls and surveys out there, but was taking polls. And he started out way back in the 1980s doing what he called a state of the state of public opinion every six months. He'd do one in the spring and one in the fall. And they have religiously, Marketing Resource Group religiously reported these results for I mean, three and a half decades anyway, maybe all four decades since he founded the business. I'm not really sure. And you have taken over and you have come out with your first state of the state public opinion poll picking up from the last one six months ago. And I'd just like to ask you a few questions about it. As I understand, you rolled this out over about three or four days this week. Um, mm-hmm. The first one, you talked about uh, Michigan voters being split on the direction of the state, uh, but more optimistic than they were last spring. Uh, sentiment towards whether the nation is on the right track or not remains the same. And mm-hmm. you said Trump job approval ratings are higher than Whitmer's, but her negatives are lower and that roads are still the number one issue. Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. Uh, do you want to talk about all four areas or just uh, Yeah, just, with well, the whatever you want to say, whatever. Sure. No, uh, well, it is interesting. And as you mentioned, we do this poll every six months, and it helps us gauge really um, where the country is at, where the state is at, the sentiment of various um, currently elected officials um, and what the public perception is, their job approval ratings, all of that. So you do it every six months, um, which has really become a good track record. It becomes consistent, and it's something that a lot of people um, around Lansing especially use to leverage um, different policy initiatives or their campaign strategies. So it's definitely becoming an asset within, uh, within the Lansing world, the Lansing bubble, if you will. But most recently, with the first release we sent out on Monday, Yes, we talk about the country being right track, wrong track. Um, right now, it's about 59% believe the country is on the wrong track. However, that doesn't necessarily translate to the um, those that disapprove of the job of President Trump. His disapprovals um, are actually much less than that. Uh, with his disapprovals are at 50, um, that means that people aren't necessarily blaming him personally for 
the country not being on the right track. There's 9% that believe it's someone else. So is that Congress? Is it um, in a specific Congress person um, being the Speaker of the House or someone in Senate? All of that. So it's, it's interesting to see um, that correlation. On Michigan side, though, it's, it's pretty evenly split. You have 41% believing Michigan's on the right track uh, compared to 42% believing it's on the wrong track. So it's very, um, like I said, very, very even there. And the same thing with Governor Whitmer. People are becoming more decisive about her being now 10 months into the administration, um, but she doesn't have any super strong positives or negatives either way. So the jury's still out in a lot of uh, the perception of how she's doing the job approval that she's doing and just their general uh, perception of her. Right. Listen, we're going to take a short break here, but we'll be back in a minute with other poll results. We're talking to Janelle Leonard. She is the no new CEO of Marketing Resource Group. We'll be back in a minute. Stay tuned. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We have returned with our guest, Janelle Leonard. She is the new owner and CEO of Marketing Resource Group, which is uh, Michigan's, I almost believe, at least in the state capital, oldest political consulting firm and one of the most prominent uh, continually run by Tom Shields until she turned over the reins to Janelle Leonard. We're talking about the polls that Marketing Resource Group has done every six months for the last three and a half decades. Janelle Leonard, you came out with poll data uh, in addition to what we just talked about a few minutes ago on the budget vetoes by Governor Gretchen Whitmer. Uh, what was the conclusion of the polls you ran? So honestly, the um, the question that we asked was, you know, in light of the governor vetoing nearly $1 billion from the budget, what would you like her to do now? Um, she did it uh, mainly on the basis of not uh, the legislature not raising the gas tax by the 45 cents. So therefore, is it incumbent on the um, governor and the legislature to raise the gas taxes and renegotiate? Um, is the other option for them to not raise the gas taxes and try to renegotiate? Or should they let the veto stand and consider refunding the dollars back to the taxpayers? And what we found was 62% said that they do not want to raise the gas taxes, um, but they believe the governor and the legislature should try to renegotiate. Um, what's furthermore is that collectively over 80 percent uh, gave a different answer other than raise taxes. So that's very similar to the polling that we saw this past spring when the governor first originally um, announced that she wanted the 45 cent gas tax. It was overwhelming um, in the support for people not wanting to raise that gas tax. So, uh, again, we're seeing that same sentiment. They're saying get back to the table, renegotiate, don't raise my taxes, um, and then even 20% said, give me the money back. Don't take my money anymore. Give it back and put it in my pocket. So uh, the sentiment is very, very similar to what we're seeing, seeing even six months later. Janelle Leonard, I noticed this week a group called Michigan Rising Action put out a press release based on your poll in which they say in their headline, 
uh, top five reasons why Governor Whitmer's disapproval rating increased 10 points since June. <laughs> and and they, they have these five points. Number one, Whitmer vetoed $375 million for road funding, despite the fact that she was the one who said, give me money to fix the damn roads. Mm-hmm. Number two, Whitmer cut autism funding after saying she would be their ally. Number three, Whitmer removed $35 million for charter school students, disproportionately targeting low-income students. Number four, Whitmer cut $13 million, impacting every county's law enforcement. And number five, Whitmer targeted rural area health care for major cuts. Uh, I guess I'd just like to ask you, uh, do you think that's an accurate characterization of the results of your poll? Or do you think maybe um, it's kind of a lagging indicator because maybe it's too soon for people to make a judgment about what Whitmer did because it's still a drama playing out, as you've just discussed. Uh, renegotiation is still on the table. What do you think about that? Sure. No, I mean, there, there. I'm sure there's a whole host of reasons as to why um, the approval ratings and the disapprovals go up and down, obviously. The veto is definitely not helping her. Um, and as what Michigan Rising Action points out, there are a lot of specific vetoes in here that affect real people that actually get into the homes of citizens in Michigan. And I, I think especially with uh, over the next couple months, once a family that has a child with autism is not able to get the services that they need, the treatment that they need for the child, then it's gonna, you're going to start seeing those um, disapprovals start rising even more uh, when those college students uh, get reneged on their scholarships when the law enforcement end up getting um, laid off and therefore response times to local emergencies aren't being, um, are, are being further delayed, they're going to start realizing it a lot. Now, granted, the first, um, the first topic that uh, Michigan Rising Action mentions is the veto of the funding. And obviously with the polling, we see that they do not, the citizens do not want to see the gas tax raise. That continues to be a top issue. Roads is, um, is, is a top issue across the board, but then furthermore, the gas tax. They want people to come back to the table and renegotiate in good faith to fix the problems that are most important to them. Another issue that you pulled on um, could go under the category, Michigan voters are split on Trump impeachment inquiry. Yeah, right, uh, right. How would you characterize the findings from your poll on that issue? Right. Well, I was very surprised when we got these um, these numbers back because if you compare both the state and the state, poll that we did on Trump's approval ratings back and forth. As I mentioned, um, his approval ratings were at 50% disapprove versus the 44% that do approve. And if you look at it in comparison to his impeachment numbers, um, less people want him, want to uh, support the impeachment inquiry than think that he's doing a bad job. So it's actually interesting. So um, obviously with the, with the president, you may think he's doing a poor job, but they still don't want him impeached is another way to say that, which is fascinating with Michigan being such a battleground state for um, in every election, but especially with the presidential coming up, uh, you see that clearly both, both sides of the political spectrum are energized. They are um, passionate about uh, making sure they defeat the other one. Um, and that's what the polling results came back as as well, which is it makes for a very fascinating election cycle to look forward to in the next 13 months. Finally, um, at the end of this past week, you released the results of your question about the uh, potential, uh, almost certain race for the U.S. Senate next year between mm-hmm. incumbent Democrat Gary Peters and Republican challenger John James. What did you find there? 
So very similar to our other results from um, earlier in the in, earlier in the week, that both sides of the political spectrum are are energized and passionate about their candidate, um, and neither side is letting down. Um, and that's very very much so the case when it comes to the U.S. Senate race, where John James, who ran against Debbie Stabenow in uh, 2018, definitely um, raised his name ID and was able to put together a strong foundation for political support, financial support. Um, against an incumbent, Gary Peters, um, which at this point they are in more or less a statistical tie in our poll. Um, and it goes all the way down to their approvals and disapprovals and people's public perception of them. So it's going to be fascinating election cycle across the board with Trump, with the U.S. Senate race, all the way down to the uh, our current you know State House of Representatives as well. Yeah, I noticed Gary Peters had 43% support, John mm-hmm. James 40%, 70% were undecided, refused to answer, don't know. Also, you had uh, favorable and unfavorable uh, numbers, and it's kind of interesting to me that finally it looks like Gary Peters is maybe better known uh, to Michigan voters than John James for a while. Uh, earlier this year, John James actually had higher name ID than Gary mm-hmm. Peters because Gary Peters, for some reason, doesn't resonate uh, with people in Michigan. I mean, he was like, according to a national poll, uh, literally number 100 on a list of uh, all 100 U.S. senators in terms of actually being known, being identifiable by the voters of Michigan about their own U.S. senator. And now now your poll says 75 percent were aware of Peters and 64 percent were aware of James, which actually is pretty darn good for James to be that mm-hmm. close uh, when he's somebody who's never been elected to office. He ran once, obviously, last year against Debbie Stabenow. But, uh, you know, that puts him in a position, uh, along with his fundraising, to do maybe pretty well next year. Absolutely. And it's very difficult to raise your name ID um, across the state. It just It is a challenge with such an overload of people consuming information on a variety of platforms. It's, it's hard to sometimes break through that noise. So James has done a great job of that. Um, Peters obviously has done a great job, especially over the past year, um, raising the awareness and getting uh, getting out there more and touching, making sure that he has that connection with the voters and the constituency. So, again, it's uh, it's very fascinating to watch. I'm, I'm looking forward to what our next poll in the spring is going to say, being able to compare yet again the numbers of today versus what it's going to be uh, actually in an election year. Yeah, Janelle Leonard, let me ask you, a firm like yours generally has clients that are not necessarily politicians or in political sure. r- races. Mm-hmm. They're not necessarily yep. candidates. Uh, what what percentage of the clientele that you inherited from Tom Shields at Marketing Resource Group is what you, you know, consider like running, you know, helping uh, a, a candidate run for some office. It could be John James, it could be somebody else, as opposed to issues or association uh, work mm-hmm. that you do. What, how would you break sure. that down? Well, so it, it depends on uh, the year, right? So in an election year, obviously, we have more political clients. Um, and obviously, with us being in a non-election year, we have more, our, our portfolio is more corporate clients, associations, all of that the same. So right now, our breakdown is probably 75% on the non-political world and then 25% political. Um, that'll, the, our political clientele is expected to increase, obviously, during an election cycle. Uh, but we, we definitely maintain and, and have a good stronghold on the clients that you know get us through that non-election year, which is nice. 
Well, boy, I have so many more questions I'd love to ask you. You've done a great job of explaining uh, your new role as the CEO and owner of Marketing Resource Group. Congratulations. Uh, I wish you you tremendous success. Thank you very much, Janelle Leonard. That's it for this week.